Welcome to Shades and Coffee, the almost weekly look good, feel good podcast presented by me, Vivian Braidwood. My guest today is a businesswoman with varied business interests. Over the years, she has successfully campaigned for a number of social causes, both in the UK and overseas. She's an activist, which for many people conjures up different images, some of which are not entirely positive, to be honest. I'm intrigued to learn more about her brand of activism and how it's helped to make the world a better and safer place to live in. Please welcome founder of the TG Foundation, Tatiana Giro. Hi, morning, can you hear me? Good morning. <laughs> well, of all the interviews that I've done, you're the first person who actually went to a proper coffee shop. <laughs> On the run-up to interviewing you, I was saying to people, I can't wait to speak to Tatiana, this amazing activist. And what was really interesting, everyone has a different understanding of what that word means. So I looked up the word, because there are many, many words I'm sure you find the same, where you think you know the meaning, but actually you're not quite on the mark with it. And it says, a person who campaigns to bring about social or political change. That's a big hat to wear. I've never thought of it like that, but definitely I think the social change the political change I think you know yes definitely but politics is a very complicated arena I don't particularly like dipping into it but I think inadvertently if you're doing anything to do with society and social issues then the only place where you're going to have any recourse to action for your social issue is usually somewhere in the political realm now you're young 12, 13 years ago, you were even younger. TG Foundation, you founded that in 2008, helping victims of sexual violence in Congo. Most people, myself included, you see these images. I'm very affected when I see stuff like that. I cry, I get very reflective. I have to go into a quiet space and think, what can I do? Some people, they give to charities. I've had friends who've flown out abroad to help build schools. I have friends and family who pray and pray hard. I don't diminish that. To me, all of that counts. But for someone so young as you were to actually go from, here's a problem, I'm, I'm really affected by it. I'm going to step in there and make a change to the point that you're changing those people's lives directly. So how does that happen? I'm half Congolese. I should probably start there because that is going to be very relevant to why I would start a cause directly affecting women in Congo. And I think that when I first came across rape as a weapon of war and sexual violence as a weapon of war issue, I was uh, shocked that nobody knew about it. When I was exposed to it through a film called The Greatest Silence Rape in Congo, my first reaction after watching that film is, how is this happening? And it's never been on the news and it's been happening for 11 years and nobody knows and nobody's talking about it. I think those were my first, you know, two or three questions that I had around the cause. And uh, I was really perplexed by that because when I started researching the course, it coincided with the year where I had just graduated in politics and society. Ah. So I've been studying <laughs> politics for four years and there's this grave, these grave human rights abuses going on. And for four years, it hasn't come up on your radar you kind of know there's a problem here. 
you know that was the first thing so I was like okay so I then started to ask people I respected who are more knowledgeable than me about current affairs and global issues I started to ask them do you know about a war in Congo and especially about rape as a weapon of war in Congo and while some people did know about the war in Congo none of them knew about the sexual violence and the rape I remember one of the victims saying she had no hope and that she knew that where she was, who was going to hear her story. If I'm hearing someone's hopeless and I'm in a position where I can help them not to feel hopeless, then I feel that I need to do that. It can be anything. It can be a friend who's distressed. It can be someone who needs money. It can be someone who needs food. If someone needs employment, if you've got to give, you give, right? And I was a, a very, at that time, really on the social scene in London. And so what I decided to do was just to screen this documentary. You invite your friends and they're completely unprepared for what they're oh, about. Oh, yes, I can imagine. <laughs> I remember it was at the top of Barclay Square at Morton's Private Members Club. And I remember it was in their private room upstairs. And, and so my friends arrive and they're all like, oh, and you know the usual party crowd and then I put them through an hour and a half of hell basically they're watching hell on earth how did how, how did that go down did people walk out they what were, was the reaction uh, they were just astounded gobsmacked they could not believe it was happening one friend crying saying thank you for showing this we didn't know and I was like well you need to tell people so I think that from then on from showing it to that kind of group of half a dozen, maybe 10 people almost, from then on I kind of knew in my mind the thing I've got to do is tell people. I didn't have a goal to set up a charity, do a fundraiser, become an activist or a lobbyist or a campaigner. My goal was there's something really bad happening in my country of origin. Nobody knows about it. No one deserves what the women go through in Congo. Now, unfortunately, rape as a weapon of war is something that's used in a lot of wars. You touched on a point that no one knew anything about it. Do you think things have changed? I know that um, I've been to a number of um, exhibitions where I've gone to look at photographs of war correspondents. and They're obviously in the front line and they obviously are supposed to stay neutral and just tell the story. And, you know, underneath each photograph would be a short a message, whatever was happening at the time and maybe what the photographer was trying to, trying to capture. And it was horrific. And I just remember thinking, this stuff never made it to the news. Like I never, I never saw this at the time when it was happening. I didn't see it in the papers. I didn't see it on TV. But, you know, many, many years later, they're showing these photographs of these awful things. Women with, you know, breasts cut off, limbs missing, children who are being deliberately starved as a result of a war that's happening where they've cut off food supplies to deliberately starve out people. Men taken out, shot in front of their families. So do you think that the world is more aware of these things as they happen? And do you think that's making a positive difference, that awareness? You've got to create leverage and incentive, right? If there's a human rights cause or violation that's happening and nobody knows about it in the general public and there's no outcry about it, then it's not going to be at the top of anyone's political agenda. It's no. just not. It's not exaggerating to say you have a list of hundreds of thousands or millions of things to achieve in a government. There is a long to-do list on any government's schedule. So if something doesn't have any 
public exposure and there isn't some type of public outcry or there aren't demands for change, then really, you know, most systems will be business as usual, you know. So I do definitely feel that, you know, the trajectory of what's happened with the human rights violations in the Congo have seen more exposure. And I definitely think there's been a kind of a parallel of the more exposure Congo has had, the more we have seen people, actors who've been responsible for those human rights violations having to be held to account. And in some cases now being convicted by the ICC, had there been less media exposure and less of an outcry by the general public, do I think that we would have seen these actors brought to justice? No, I don't. The job of an, a good activist and a good lobbyist at the end of the day is to put their cause on the map to the general public in whatever way they can. What happens after that is tends to be a snowball effect. So there might be people who have had way more of an impact on women's rights over the last five years and have become much bigger actors than me. But, you know, what TG Foundation achieved and through the work we achieved may have been one of the seeds that fed into different actors who are very influential now helping to change things. At the end of the day, you know, the reality with any cause is unless the perpetrators of human rights abuses are brought to justice and convicted of their crimes nobody's going to have any incentive not to do it yes. you only get criminals to stop committing crimes if they have an incentive not to do so i.e if i do that i might get life imprisonment if i'm ever caught yes. is it a deterrent for everyone no because we'll always have crime but it certainly means that you well, know. the accountability, I think, exactly what you said earlier about if you make something a law, you know, it does then affect behaviour or at least, you know, responsibility, accountability and that sort of thing. The victim has somewhere they can go to for that, you know, what you call justice. Um, something you touched on earlier, you said when people, when you have these events, etc., and things happen and people think, what can I do? I hear that so often and I always feel saddened by the genuine feelings of powerlessness of some people that I speak with. You know, I know their tears are real. They're feeling someone else's pain and they're wondering, what can I do? And if they have the means, sometimes they throw a lot of money at it. Or, you know, you have all these things that come on social media. You sign a petition. If you get X numbers, it goes forward, etc. What would you, as an, as an activist, you know, what advice would you give to people who do feel powerless in terms of helping to affect positive social change? What more can they do other than the prayers, the donation, the you know, signing petitions, etc.? Where can you point them to additional sources of information so that they don't feel so powerless and they can get involved if they want to get more involved? Nothing in activism is redundant. There isn't a lesser form of activism and a greater form of activism. So I guess, you know, if I was to use an example, I would use the example of Me Too. A lot of the women's rights activists who had been doing causes for women's rights and rape and campaigning against rape and sexual violence. I did a call, I can't remember if it was a, for a podcast, I really can't remember the nature of the call, but basically the activists on this 
interview was saying, yeah, me too, they've come along and, you know, all these celebrities now, they think that they're the ones who've spearheaded ending rape and ending sexual violence, but they've just come along and in a few months, because there's a hashtag, they think that they've been these huge contributors, whereas we've been doing this for, some of these activists have been activists for 10, 20, 30 years. So you could look at it from that perspective, like an actress in Hollywood says, oh, you know, I was sexually assaulted. Millions or billions of people around the world hear about it because it's suddenly on Sky News, BBC News and all the major news channels. And you've been there being active about being anti-sexual assault or anti-rape or for 10, 20, 30 years and changing the system slowly. But then this actress who really hasn't done any of the work because she's got the uh, exposure to the public eye suddenly is seen as the beacon of the cause. But isn't that and partly what you want? You talked about earlier about people saying, well, if we I had, had yes, no idea. Exactly. She, she has a reach far wider yeah. than you. And as a result exactly. of her saying me too, the yeah. change has been affected. Yeah. That's a good thing, no? That was exactly my point. It, it's the same goal. And I actually said on this call, and it wasn't very popular. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, oh, God. I think everybody thought that as the, you know, Congo activist black woman I would be like yeah you're right these celebrities they're just jumping on our bandwagon and we've done all the hard work but I was like no I'm really happy and I think that this is a result of the work we've it done it is and there's one thing you said earlier that I would yeah. challenge you on I think sadly, well not sadly, I just think naturally that some people do do things for recognition because in a relationship recognition is a big thing relations can break down if you don't feel a person is recognizing the value that you've added to something you see it in the workplace it recognition and reward it's a massive thing so i would argue that i'm not saying all but there's a high number of people who are affected by recognition so they may feel negative if they don't get the recognition they deserve if someone takes the kudos for something that you've been working on behind the scenes people get bitter, you know, so that's possibly what was happening. I don't know the podcast that you're referring to, but as you're relaying the story to me, I'm thinking they've kind of missed the point. They've scored a goal. You know, I love watching Selling Sunset. It's all about selling these high spec, amazing villas in LA. I mean, some of the houses are so beautiful. They have more bathrooms than bedrooms. They're phenomenal, these houses. But you see the finished house and you see the agent in their Louboutins and their Chanel handbags selling the house to the millionaires and the billionaires. It's very rare that they'll show the property being built or developed or the property developer or the builders on site. They might show one out of 10, but they don't really. So you'll see the finished thing it's being sold by the slick agent. But, you know, the house was built it. by builders who you'll probably never see their face. And also a property developer who put up the money to build the house. So it's not everyone who has the resources who's in the public eye either. Because yeah. sometimes you associate the public eye to being powerful and wealthy. But actually a lot of people contribute finances and resources who aren't in the public eye. And that's an analogy for having a great cause that becomes, that blows up like me too. There was a huge foundation that contributed to me too. And without a shadow of a doubt, me and my mom knew we were part, we were that foundation and structure oh, that wow. gave 
yeah, we felt like this is what we've worked for. This is what we've worked for. We've worked for 12 years. Well, at that time it was for 10 years. We've worked to make the word rape acceptable and no longer feel like it's a taboo subject and like it's the woman who's the criminal. That's all we've worked for. And Me Too was a result, we felt, of partly, of the, you know, even if it was like, point not one percent of the work we have definitely contributed to those women being comfortable with saying i was abused what would be interesting are there any documentaries have any been made or any in the pipeline that you're aware of where they tell the story and show the behind the scenes you know that snowball going down the hill building momentum and then bush you see this massive change but when they go back and they dissect it and they look at the work of people such as yourselves don't you think society needs to kind of hear that story and be aware of that? Because that might inspire lots of people to actually, you know, do their part. They, they might not realise that the steps that they need to take towards social change are a lot simpler than, than they think. But to go back to the question when I said that there are people out there who want to make a positive difference in the world and they want to take positive action towards social change. What advice can you give to them? I think the work of an activist and someone who helps others shouldn't be done to be seen. So I think that everyone has their place and everyone is an actor in activism. And so to kind of wrap it up with what you said about when people feel that, what can I do? I feel that what I'm doing isn't enough. There's no such thing as not enough in a human rights cause. If you're the person who watches a documentary like The Greatest Silence Rape in the Congo, and you go and tell someone else about what was in that documentary, and they go and tell their partner, and their partner tells their friend or someone in the office, then another five or six people know. If you posted something about this initiative that Marcus Rashford has done to feed school children. children, yes. You might have contributed to a GoFundMe page or you might work in a food bank. You might have just given the food for the food bank. You might have provided the centre for the food bank. Somebody else volunteers at the food bank. Somebody else tells someone there's a food bank. You know, it's a chain. There's no, I didn't do enough. Not everyone will produce and direct a documentary about the Congo. Lisa F. Jackson did. That affected my life. She doesn't do any more work for the Congo. I still do. In CG Foundation, we've had many, many, many women and men come in, contribute their time, be trustees, be patrons, contribute their resources, their money, their network, their net worth everything and then they've come in and then eventually they go on and new people come in and you know I can't say well you left the course so therefore you only gave money or you only attended one event you know anytime you pay attention to someone else's suffering talk about it that is contributing to its ending. That is a beautiful place um, with which to end um, this conversation I certainly will be sharing the podcast to as many people as I can And if you just go online through Google, YouTube, I'm sure you can find out a lot more about this and about any other cause that touches your heart. One of the things that I've come away with from talking to you, because I am one of these people that I do whatever is in my power to do, and yet I still have this sense of, like, it's not enough. And I guess, in a way, that's almost a reflection of how privileged I feel, and you almost feel your privilege almost wear it as a coat of embarrassment because I just feel like surely I can do more I'm so privileged I can do more I can do more so hearing someone like you who is an activist and has been working this magic for so long say that 
everything that we do counts and has value and we should never think, oh, it's less than someone else. That's really encouraging and it's really uplifting and I'm really inspired. And I know now that actually I knew nothing <laughs> before oh, <I'm> sure. <laughs> about you and about oh. activism in that sense. So thank you for sharing. Thank you for having me on Shades and Coffee. Great speaking to you. Lots of love, Tatiana. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to me, Vivian Braidwood. Ask me any lifestyle related question or let me know which topic you'd like me to cover during our essential coffee break. Tag me and use the hashtag Shades and Coffee with Vivian on Twitter or Instagram. If you like this podcast, hit subscribe and please rate us. Shades and Coffee. Look good, feel good. Mm-hmm.